So this year we're celebrating the 100th anniversary of the 1919 March 1st movement against colonial Japan, started by Korean independence fighters, spread from Seoul throughout the country. It was a turning point in the country's resistance movement with some 2 million people participating in what turned out to be about a year. But one of the key organizers, it would be remarkable now, I suppose it must have been even more remarkable then, was an 18-year-old girl, Yu Guan-sun. She was featured in the New York Times Overlooked Obituary series dedicated to telling stories of remarkable people. And today we connect with In Young Kang, editor at the New York Times, who wrote the piece. And thank you very much for joining us. Hello, thank you for having me. First of all, I love the concept of this series. Uh, it, it's, it's sort of like a hidden history almost for people who are around the world less familiar with, with um, remarkable individuals. Can you tell us a bit more about the Overlooked series? Sure. Um, Overlooked began about a year ago um, when my colleague Amy Padmani joined the obituary desk and noticed that readers would sometimes write them. They would ask, how come you don't have more women or people of color in your obituary pages? Um, and she added this a lot when she came across the name while researching. The name was Mary Outerbridge, who was credited in tennis to America in 1874. And Amy wondered if Mary ever got an obit in the Times and checked the archives, but there's nothing. So whenever Amy came across interesting things in history that we hadn't written about, she added their names to this list that she kept. And after coming up with several dozen names, she approached her editor, and they discussed how maybe now would be a powerful time to tell the stories of these women. And so the project launched, um, I think, in February of last year, so it's been almost a year. Of course, Yu Guan is remarkable, but she was not the only young person involved. She was not the only woman involved either, as it happens. What was part of the decision-making in choosing her? I guess, for me, when Amy first explained this project to me, I was sort of thinking about figures I'd read about or heard about and what I personally knew, who I could suggest. Um, and so it was actually fortuitous timing on my part, just kind of the backstory was I was already planning to travel to Korea last February to visit family and to help with Olympics coverage, actually, in Pyeongchang. And so I met up with Amy a few weeks before I left, and when she outlined some of its goals, I, I, you immediately came to mind, actually, because my whole family is from Korea, and when I was little, my parents had told me about Yu Gwansun because they'd learned her in school when they were growing up. Um, and I thought maybe I was in a unique position to tell a story that maybe many American readers might not be familiar with, so it worked out really well. And I could travel at that time and do research while I was in Seoul. Yeah, that's the irony in a sense. Her story is certainly not overlooked here. Indeed, near my home in central Seoul, right. there's a wonderful monument to her overlooking the uh, Yongsan area, yes. among many other monuments. But can you tell us a bit more about the elements of her story that had always stuck with you? I guess for me personally, what was so surprising to me was Yu Wanzi's youth and her strength. Um, I believe she was, I think, 16 when she first became involved in the independence movement. And she was very devout in her Christian faith and believed so much in Korean independence that she was willing to lead others and die for this cause. She was also very educated for a young woman at that time, is my understanding. And I think this is an extremely powerful example of someone using their background and their abilities and their strength to fight for their beliefs and to try to do what they think was right, even when it's enormously difficult. And I think that's a story that sort of resonates with everybody. 
one thing that, that I find interesting, you, you mentioned you were looking for more diversity in this series, uh, and, and as I suggested before, mm-hmm. that there are you know, plenty of other women um, and girls who are involved in this movement who um, probably have yeah. been overlooked even within this country. But if you go to some of the memorials, for example, at Sodomun Prison, you will see the photos of all these mm-hmm. young people. Does that tell us something about the role of women in desperate times? It, it sort of acts perhaps as something of an equaliser? What, what, what's your feeling on that? Oh, gosh. Uh, I'm not sure I'm qualified to comment on that. But, yes, it, it, it strikes me, you know, in, in times of, you know, danger or pressure. Or I think it compels people to step forward and try to try to do right. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm thinking also about the role of women by necessity rising during various wars, especially in the 20th century, mm-hmm. in, in, in a lot of countries. But coming back to you's story, what did you hope mm-hmm. to achieve then by telling this? I think I wanted more people to know about her. Um, as I understand it, you know, everyone in Korea growing up learns about her in school. And actually, I was a history student, but I've only ever lived in America. And so... I think I wanted more people outside of Korea to know about her, and actually the response that I got from here was overwhelming. People were saying, oh, I'd never known, I'd never known of Nibon Sen, I'd never even, some people were saying I didn't know Korea was under colonial rule, you know. I think, I guess overlooked in the sense that, maybe not by everyone, certainly, but there's a real narrative that a lot of people aren't aware of. And so one of the goals of this project, actually, was... um, Amy was saying that uh, the Times hasn't necessarily covered as many international figures in its history, and the Overlooked Project seemed like a great opportunity to finally recognize these people. One of the challenges in writing about Korean history in English is the lack of English resources, uh, except for some wonderful, but uh, by their nature, limited uh, general histories of the country or, or some of the big moments like the Korean War. Can you tell us how you went about then putting this together in English? Um, it was actually extremely difficult. Most of the resources that I found were solely in Korean. And so I actually had a translator who worked with me and helped me sort of look at primary documents and we went to the museum together. Um, and I also read um, works written in English by Korean historians. One in particular was Mr. Chun Kyo Kim, who is the author of The History of Korea. And I actually corresponded with him a bit, just checking facts and figures, and he gave me sort of a larger look at the March 1st movement as a whole. He sort of helped place he ones in, in context of the things that were going on in time. And by doing that research, did you get a, a greater understanding of, of the importance of the March 1st movement as we now, 100 years on, commemorate it? Yes, um, I hadn't realized how much, how important this was. I guess in 20th century history, it sort of set everything in motion for the rest of the century for Korea. Your article has drawn a lot of attention. Anytime the New York Times writes something about Korea or publishes something about Korea, it's going to get attention here. But what about from the non-Korean audience? Uh, did, did you get some praise or even some scrutiny, for example, from Japanese readers or a wider community? Um, I do recall on Twitter there were certainly a lot of opinions on this time in history. Um, I don't remember... I think largely it was just people either being surprised that they had never heard of this figure and also a lot of people in Korea, sure, but also Korean-Americans, actually, um, wrote in saying it was very surprising to see someone 
um, like he once in represented um, or, you know, even displayed prominently at the top of the New York Times homepage. And they sort of spoke about what it was like to see someone like them represented in our report, which, for, you know, that's something I certainly related to. Um, and I guess for me personally, one of the coolest responses I got was from an artist in California who reached out on Twitter, and it turned out he was Yuwensen's great-grandnephew. Um, and so we ended up meeting in Los Angeles and learning a little bit about each other's lives, which was very meaningful to me. And I think, you know, yeah. whether it's art or your writing or something else, we're all trying to tell stories that are important to us. One of the big stories, of course, still today is is this issue of gender inequality, one of the areas of inequality in society. And I mentioned before that extreme situations in history have acted as equalizers. I understand you don't want to be drawn into the, the social commentary of that, but for you as a woman of Korean heritage, yes. can we conclude on the note of the inspiration that Yu Guan Soon has given you today? Um, yes, I... I guess I cannot comment on the politics of it, but for me personally, yes, it is very empowering to see, you know, a woman, someone of color who, I think, again, this is a story that resonates, and uh, one reader, actually, I believe in the U.S., wrote in, and they said, we need more stories of 16-year-old girls who change the world, and yes, I think that's a universal sentiment, regardless of time or place, and I couldn't agree more with that. Inyong Kang, thank you very much for joining us today. Please uh, do keep telling stories and it's great to hear this perspective from an editor of the new york times does anyone else have a perspective you'd like to share on this panel sharp 1013 for 51 per message